The scripture reading today comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Pray for strength for me as I try to bring you the word about God's faithfulness. It's right that we should grieve, as Andy told us. We should grieve. It's right to hate death because it's not right. Did you know that Jesus, when he stood before the tomb, his good friend, Lazarus, the Greek that he said was actually a roar in anger? It's not right. But at the same time, we're told that we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. We're not to grieve that way. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the fruit of the Spirit, God's faithfulness. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a Presbyterian pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church for many years before the great Pastor Boyce took over. I remember a story that Barnhouse told about the death of a little girl's mom and him riding along with her. And as they rode along together, a dump truck passed, a big truck. And it was a sunny day, and the shadow of the truck passed visibly over the car that they were in. And he said, he said, if that truck were to hit us, It would kill us, right? And the little girl said, yes. And he said, what about the shadow? Can the shadow do anything to us? And she said, no. And he said, so it is with everyone who believes in Jesus' victory over sin and over death through the resurrection on their behalf. Paul says about that, where, O death, is your sting? Where is your victory? And so this morning, as we gather, we grieve and we rage at death along with our Lord. But we're also freed in Jesus' victory for us to worship. And so pray for me as I try my best to lift up the truth of his faithfulness to us in such a time of sorrow. Our subject today is, our, is God's faithfulness on your behalf and how it changes how you relate to everyone. We're going to look at how it changes his faithfulness on your behalf. It changes how you relate to God himself. His faithfulness on your behalf changes how you relate to you, yourself. And his faithfulness on your behalf changes how you relate to others. The first thing we'll look at is through God's faithfulness, you'll live radically differently towards God. Now, Paul writes a little earlier In Galatians 1, at the beginning of the book that we're studying, the passage that we're studying is found in this book. Paul writes this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins 
to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. God delivers his people. Paul's writing about this. And in his deliverance, he gives us his spirit to testify to the way that he's faithful to us. As Glenn prayed, one of the things that we need to do in a time of grief is look into redemptive history and see how it's unfolded on our behalf because he loves us so. In the Old Testament, the word for faithfulness is used to refer to carrying a child or caring for a child. So we're going to put it this way, our definition, as we look through God's faithfulness to his people. Faithfulness is like carrying a child, breaking its fall, taking the resulting injuries to save it. I have a friend I talked to this weekend, and his wife was carrying their infant along a pool, pathway beside a pool. And they have walked on that pathway often. The mama was carrying the infant. And as she was walking, she's saying hello to something. And she turned, she walked along on that path with that infant. And somebody had left a chair stretched out on the pathway. And she fell over the chair. And she fell to the ground with the infant in her arms. Only she had wrapped herself around the infant. And she herself fell and took all of the injury protecting the infant so that it was okay. She's okay too, by the way. The illustration is this. She was loyal to her child. She was committed. She was utterly reliable. She was faithful. If she had only loved the child when it brought something to her, she wouldn't have been there in that way for it. Like the way that we so often love or interact with other people based on what they bring to us. We treat relationships as though they're business networking. There's a cost-benefit analysis to us, to it. And God didn't do that. And this woman didn't do that. God's faithfulness is like him carrying you, his child, and breaking your fall and saving you from the resulting injuries by taking them himself. Now, when you see that the Lord cares for you like that in the gospel, the way that you relate to God himself changes. It changes. His, faithful, his faithfulness means that he carries you. Now, if you have had the chance to hold an infant, to coddle it, to listen to it coo, to hold it while it cries and moves around. What do you know? Can it carry itself? You have to be very careful with their heads because their necks are not yet strong enough. There's a special way that single people who haven't handled a lot of children have to learn what to do when you pass a baby from one person to another because they're so fragile. And that's the picture of faithfulness that we have here. God carries you into eternity. But he not only carries you, he breaks your fall. The judgment for sin 
is coming powerfully. But the message is that he took that judgment for sin on the cross. First Thessalonians, Paul writes this, We wait for his Son from heaven, who was raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is so that we wouldn't have to take our injuries ourselves. But he not only carries us, he not only breaks our fall, he does take our injury. You cannot sustain the judgment that's coming. You can't sustain it on your own. You just can't. I was young, but I was alive when the great Johnstown flood happened. And there were eyewitness accounts of that flood where the water came down through the mountains to, to crush the town. And the eyewitness accounts were that it wasn't just a wall of water. It was on fire. There were vehicles and buildings and everything carrying us away and it was just coming and there was no way to escape it. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus on the cross looked at that coming right at him for you and he stayed. So he carried you. He broke your fall. He took your resolving injuries himself so that you might survive. When you see that he's faithful for you, that God is faithful for you in Jesus, your relationship with God becomes not one of distance, but one of intimacy, one of nurture and support. Think about it. Faithfulness, it says in our passage, is the fruit of his spirit bearing out in us things, wonderful things, eternal things of his character and nature into the world, in our relationships, in real moments like this. It takes time to adjust to the notion that God is not distant, that he's actually real. When I was first dating Anne-Marie, she was in England for six months. And she came back a couple times, and I went to visit once. And the strange thing was that because we had a lack of presence, because there was a distance, we noticed that every time we got together, there was a, a time of getting used to each other. It was a little strange. There was a, being in someone's presence takes time to get used to. And it's the same with God. God is not a distant God a philosophy. God is the living God who comes to live in you and rescue you from the weight of sin and the crushing weight of death so you might have hope in the face of its awfulness, in the face of its terror. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's not uncaring. He nurtures you. Peter, the same Peter who Paul stood up against in our book, who withdrew, who was eating with people from other nations because God told him that the food was now clean, that he couldn't call it unclean because he had declared it clean. And he was calling people from every nation to have fellowship at the table, to eat together, to have friendship. And Peter, in this letter, Paul rebukes because he, he withdrew. He began eating with them, and then when certain people came from the religiosity, you know, the people who were most religious of the day, when those people came, they said, no, it's not just Jesus that you need for your salvation. You need Jesus plus obeying Torah, obeying all the law of Moses. You need to be circumcised if you haven't been. Peter, who Paul rebuked, writes this, 
later. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He's not uncaring. He nurtures you. And he's not uninvolved. He supports you. We find in Galatians 4, Paul writing this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, so that we might receive adoptions as sons, talking about people from every nation. That's everyone sitting here. And be adopted as a son, so that we might receive adoptions as a son. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what Abba means? It means Daddy. When's the last time that you prayed and said, Daddy, Daddy God, I love you and I need you. Care for me, carry me. Do you approach God with that kind of boldness? That's what he's won for you. His faithfulness has won that for you. So through God's faithfulness, you live radically differently towards God. But next, through God's faithfulness, you live radically differently towards yourself. Paul writes in our chapter that surround the verses that we are studying over these last weeks. It's for freedom. Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not believe that he has lived for you. Do not believe that he's been faithful on your behalf. To instead try to live in your own strength is to submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's heavy. It's crushing. It will bring you down. If the Lord himself is faithful on your behalf, it means he himself has done it. He's accomplished everything that you need to come to him freely. For freedom, you've been set free. That means that you don't have to live as though you have to carry yourself. For example, like an infant, spiritually, can you carry yourself? Can you lift up your own head? Or does it take the care and the nurture of someone who loves you so to carry your weight for you? Can you break your own fall? To paraphrase Jonathan Edwards, you can no more stop judgment from falling on you for your sin in your own strength than a spider web can stop a falling boulder. You can't stop it. And in the scripture, we see that a great theme of redemptive history is that God takes the resulting injuries yourself. Go back to Old Testament times. Look at the scapegoat. There was a goat available for the people of God where the people would come and lay the sins of the people on the goat and it would be, it would be sent out of the boundaries of the, of the encampment of the people of God, carrying the sins with it so that the Lord wouldn't judge their sins. To live as though you can do these things on your own, you're not only fooling yourself, you're enslaved. To think that you're okay in your own strength means that you're enslaved, you're not free. You won't mourn like those who have hope. You'll be undone by your mourning. What happens? How does your relationship toward yourself change? We're, we're a people of story. God catches us up in his story. And so part of what change looks like is a change of narrative. We live by narratives. We live by stories that we believe. 
what we want to do is move from this story. And the story goes like this. The story is, through my effort, I learned, I've i earned the right to fill in the blank. Take a moment and do it mentally. Through my effort, I earned the right to... What comes to mind for you? And there's a part that goes with that thought. Through my effort, I earn the right to you fill in the blank, and therefore I'm okay. If through my effort, I earn the right to this thing, I'll be okay. If through my effort, I succeed in my work, I'll be well thought of, and everything will be okay. If through my effort, I win the affection of the person that I'm in relationship with, and they think well of me, I'll be okay. If through my effort, I do everything right in business and so that the money comes and things are ordered to make that continue to happen and I'm in control, then I'm okay. Don't forget, friends, what Paul said in Galatians 4, that they, the circumcision party who came in saying it was Jesus plus something, want to shut you out of the blessings that Jesus brings because they, they want you to make much of them. There's nothing to be found in our own strength. So we need to move from that narrative that we tell ourselves. It's there in many different ways each day. And we need to move towards the narrative that sounds like this. Through Jesus' effort, he earned the right for me. Fill in the blank. How do you relate to the thing that you've been living by when you complete the narrative with Jesus at the center of it? Through Jesus' effort, he earned the right for me to do whatever I'm longing for, and therefore I'm okay. Through Jesus' effort, he succeeded in winning the Father's approval for me. And because of that, I'm okay. It doesn't begin with my effort. It doesn't begin with your effort. It begins with what Jesus has done. He's called the Alpha. And what? The Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's your salvation. It does not lie in you. His faithfulness is what you need to take up, not your own faithfulness. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So through God's faithfulness, you live radically differently towards God and towards yourself. You realize that God is for you and not against you, that he stands in your place. You realize that your narrative, the narratives that you live by have to switch. You have to begin with Jesus and his effort on your behalf. But finally, through God's faithfulness, you live radically differently towards others. Now in Galatians 2, earlier in the book, Paul writes this, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? If you were saved, in other words, by what Jesus does and not by what you do, if you're saved by what Jesus does, how is it that you can force others to be saved by what they do and not what Jesus does? The point is, is that since it's true of both of you, you and others 
who need Jesus, that you're freed in God's faithfulness to live faithfully towards others. You're now free to carry others. You're now free to break their fall. You're now free to take the injuries they would have sustained in the similar way that God does, mirroring God's love for them. Don't love them based on what they bring to you. Instead of Peter withdrawing from the religious leaders who came and said, no, it's Jesus plus something, he would have confronted them. He would have done it lovingly, but he would have confronted them. And so, no, these people too are our brothers. We have the right to fellowship at the table with them. It's not based on the opportunities that they're opened up for you. If you are married and your wife comes to you and says, why do you love me? Man, you don't say, because you look so great on my arm and you're really good for me at business meetings and you know, you're, you're part of me completing my kingdom that I'm building. There's no love there. What you say instead is that I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. You in and of yourself are worthy to draw out all of the love and more than I can possibly bring out. You yourself are beautiful in and of yourself. Don't begin first by introducing someone else to what they need to do. Don't say, hey, get your politics straight. Don't start there. Don't start with, hey, get your act straight. You're living relig- you know, irreligiously. Live religiously. Don't start with, hey, you're doing a good job living religiously. Keep that up. Don't start with what the person does in and of themselves. Start by introducing the person to Jesus, the living God who wants to be in relationship with you and with them. He's come that we might have relationship with the living God. John 4, there was a woman at the well. She was not living as the people of God live. What does Jesus first talk to her about? First of all, he's a man, a rabbi, engaging a woman in conversation. In that day, that was awfully strange. It was pretty radical of him to do. But the first thing that he talks about is he introduces himself to her as living water. He brings up the five husbands and the the man she's living with now not being her husband later. It's true, the gospel affects the way we live. It does, it necessarily has to. If we are not our own and we're bought with a price, then we owe God everything. We go, oh God, our lives in the way that we live, at work, at home, in relationships, behind closed doors, in our thought life, in our heart life, the things that we long for. But first, it's a relationship with Jesus. Show others how Jesus completes the narrative they've been living out of, the very things that they've been longing for. You can say to friends, I see that you, you really most want to be free. I see that you, you value freedom, and if you can just feel free in any given situation, then things are going to go all right with you. And you put your effort towards being free. And you can say to them, but you know what? That struggle towards getting freedom on a constant daily basis will wear you down, and it will crush you. And you're not free because you're driven by it. But there is one who can set you free. There is one who has won freedom on your behalf that can never be taken from you. 
never be taken from you. He has said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against you because of my work on your behalf. Take time. Introduce your friends. Introduce others to Jesus first. But you need to make sure that you yourself are spending time with Jesus to do that. Otherwise, you'll only be interesting in introducing them to doing things, to behavioral change, not reformation of self through knowing the living God. Friends, we covered first that it's through faithfulness that you can live differently towards God. And the key point there is that he loves you. Intimately, in the gospel, he carries you. He breaks your fall and he takes your resulting injuries on himself so that you won't have to. And that changes the way you relate to him. But second, we covered that it's through faithfulness that you can live differently towards yourself. And the key point is that you no longer have to live as though you carry yourself. You break your own fall or you take the resulting injuries for yourself. For freedom, you've been set free. This changes the way that you relate to you. And third, we covered that it's through faithfulness that you can live differently towards others. And the key point is that the things others need most is not first something they do themselves, but first an intimate relationship with Jesus through the gospel. And that changes the way you live towards others. And it changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. See God himself breaking your fall and taking your injuries so that you could be safe as his child. Deepen your intimacy with God by taking time to look and pray through the gospel. Look at him. See him there. Jesus was loyal. He was courageous. He was driven by principle. He was utterly reliable. He was true to his word to ensure that you can have an intimate relationship with God. See Jesus losing his intimate relationship with the Father. The intimacy that you've been longing for and treated as faithless on the cross so that you could be treated as faithful and given the intimacy with God that only he deserved. Go to him who cares so much for you that he would carry you, that he would break your fall, and that he would take the injuries that would have undone you. He loves you. Let's go to him now in his faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we come to you desperately needing your love and your care. Lift up our hearts. Give us strength. Encourage us. Help us, as Glenn prayed earlier, to remember your mighty deeds, to remember how you have indeed carried us, to remember all of the ways that you've loved us and been there for us. To remember the way that you stayed. When everything was coming to undo you, you stayed so that we wouldn't be undone. Help us to mourn as a people who have a hope, transform us now in the midst of suffering. We ask through the power of your spirit, the fellowship of your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.